regardless of where you are in an organization, it will be to your advantage if you can pull your head out of the sand that is the day-to-day work and think about what it is that you need to build today that will serve next week and next month and next year. And that is a shift in how you work. And that is what is required if what you want to do is incorporate documentation into your regular practice. You will have to change. Welcome to Want to Work There, a podcast that explores what really makes a company a great place to work. I'm your host, Jill Felska, and together we'll explore not only what goes into building a great company culture, but also exactly how to implement those best practices within your own workplace. If you're here, you believe that a better world of work is possible, and I can't wait to build it together. Let's go. Welcome back to the Want to Work There podcast. Today, we are going to talk about all things documentation. And if you would have told me 10 years ago that I was going to nerd out really hard on documentation, I would never have believed you in a million years. But I do, and I am, and I was so excited to meet someone else who also cared passionately about this topic. And so today we are going to talk with her. Podge Thomas is a Notion consultant and a people up specialist. She works with small business owners to build operational infrastructures through the lens of liberation and justice. Welcome, Podge. I am so excited to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So excited. Now, I would really love to start by talking about how you focus all of your work through a lens of justice and liberation. What does that look like? What does it look like? You know, I specifically don't use diversity, equity, and inclusion because I don't consider myself to be a DEI person. And I think in the DEI world, that means something fairly specific. So I talk about liberation and justice because for me, as a woman of color, freedom is my goal. It's my goal for myself and it's my goal for my community. Having grown up in a world that is structured to prevent me from accessing what half of our population has automatic access to. So for me, that's the liberation piece of it. And justice is really just about fairness, right? I'm the youngest of six kids. And I feel like my refrain probably until I was the age of, I don't know, six or eight or something was like, well, that's not fair. I was obsessed (laughs) with things being fair. I really wanted things to be equitable, right? I was always littler and I felt like, why the heck do these other big children who were also idiots, like I was clear that they were idiots just like me, that they weren't grown-ups, and yet they had more rights (laughs) than I did. And I just have always been deeply, deeply obsessed with fairness. So I really like the idea of liberation and justice because you can think no matter what your background is, and especially if you have a background that has been impacted by oppression, then you understand what liberation and justice means for you. And so it, to me, it speaks universally, but it also gives 
people who are in my sphere a sense of what I do, right? Because I work in operations, I work in systems, I'm a notion consultant, I build out systems for people. It's easy to think that working in this way and working with technology is inherently masculine, but that is not a tool that belongs to men. It's not a tool that belongs to the white men, right? Those are tools that belong to all of us. And I think that systems and process and documentation can lead us to a place of liberation and justice at work. And so that's kind of why I do this work. First of all, I just love that you touched on the fact that while this is a shared thing that we're all striving for, and you specifically are striving for through your work, there's also this individualization piece. And I think being able to call that out and see what it looks like for different people in different scenarios, but also being able to work with someone who looks like them, identifies as like they identify, is a really powerful thing that I think we take for granted sometimes, especially in the tech space. So I love that you do this work. And I'm excited to dive in a little bit deeper to obviously what that looks like and what documentation is, just so that everybody's on the same page. Let's talk a little bit about what Notion is. To me, Notion is a tool that is used by a lot of different people, could be individuals, could be students. In this case, we're talking about using it in companies. And the way that I think about it is it's sort of like a much sleeker, cooler, easier to use intranet that companies can use to sort of be a source of truth and a place where they're storing information that needs to be equally accessed by everyone they're working with, no matter if they're in the office, out of the office, everywhere. I am sure that is a very basic definition. Do you have anything to add to that in terms of how you sort of see the tool or use the tool? Yeah, I think you're hitting it there, right? So it can be used by individuals. It can be used by businesses, whether you be a solopreneur or a business with a team. But Notion is a great tool for organizing information. And I think that's where that intranet description is really helpful. So if I'm running an organization and I've got 25 people in my organization, and that's say four or five different departments that are functioning in different ways. So maybe I've got a marketing team and a sales team and an admin team. Now Notion can support the work of the admin team. It can support the work of the marketing team. It can support the work of the sales team. And all of that can be done in a way that makes sense for those teams. It's not one size fits all, right? Anybody that works in Notion and makes templates will tell you, if you're new to Notion, don't buy a template, right? (laughs) Because a template is almost useless to you if you don't understand how to use Notion and you don't know what that template is functional for. And when I work with my clients, I make brand new sets of templates for all of my clients because all of my clients, you know, not just that they have different businesses, but they work really differently. And I think that's the other thing I love about Notion is that it can follow your brain, right? So if I work in this way, I can make Notion follow my brain. But if you work in Notion in a different way, I can make it follow your brain too. That is such a good point. And for someone who personally, I'm neurodivergent, I built my management training in Notion, and now companies are using it. And I'm literally mid-releasing a new updated version to a couple of my clients because they came back with some great ideas around like, what if we access the information this way? What if this was laid out like this? And it was so welcome. And I loved that it was easy to go in and be able to 
to readjust it to their way of working without it being a huge deal. But it's, yeah, I love that you said that. I think that's really, really important to note. Let's talk a little bit about how you work with clients. So you are an entrepreneur. You've done lots of different things. Like I think all entrepreneurial people do. We are sort of adventurers and we see different opportunities and different things that we're passionate about and we latch onto them. So you got to this sort of latest iteration of the business where you're focusing on Notion Consulting. What problems are your clients up against when they reach out to you for support? What they think they're up against and what I think that they're up against are sometimes two different things, right? What presents as a symptom isn't necessarily what the problem is. When I meet people for the first time who are interested in working with me, I can almost immediately diagnose the problem as disorganization. But how they come to understanding that level of disorganization might be a little bit different, right? And for my solopreneurs and my tiny teams, disorganization often comes as a result of using like a storage-based operation system, what I would call storage-based operation system, which is usually Google Docs, right? Or maybe it's a combination of Google Docs and Dropbox, for example. And those aren't bad tools, right? Google Drive, Google Docs, Google Sheets, all of Google's products, they're great tools, but they are too static for more complex businesses. <laughs> I think of Google Drive, and my drive is no different, even though, I mean, I barely use my Google Drive, but it's like a storage unit, right? Where you just throw everything in, and then maybe one day you're like, oh, I've got a half a dozen boxes of my childhood crap, and I, I don't want to go through it right now, but I don't want to get rid of it because there are probably awesome things in there that I want to hang on to. Let me just go drop them off at the storage unit, right? And then a few years go by and you're like, oh, let me go find that stuff. Meanwhile, you've already made another like hundred trips to the storage unit where you've just dumped everything else. So now you can't find anything, right? And so that's what happens sometimes when people find me and they go, well, I have everything in Google Docs. And I'm like, well, that's great. Better to have the documentation than not have it. Like that's a place to start but they can't find anything and it's it, they can't collect data on anything. It comes up a lot around content storage, right? Content strategy, content creation. You know, many of us as entrepreneurs, we're putting out content on social media or, you know, newsletters or blogs. We're doing podcasts, right? This is now becoming a piece of my content. And by the way, I already have a place for it. So when it goes live, I have a place to put the link. I need a place to store it. And I need it to be able to connect to other pieces of information because down the road, right, I'm five years into my business, five years from now, it's going to be important for me to look back and go, okay, what was I creating five years ago? What was doing well? What kinds of content was doing well? Who was it going out to? How many people was it going out to? What were the tags, that, right? What were the themes and the topics? And then also, by the way, gathering my research, because it's not just that I am a service provider and I come in and build out your Notion workspace. It's also that I am developing, you know, my knowledge and authority around being an operations person and a management person and a Notion person. And I want to be able to build on that information. And if I have it buried in a 120 page Google doc, which I have seen 
not just once. Many times. Many times. Many times. Most times. Then how can I go back and absorb that information again? How can I resurface it? How can I reference it? It's very hard to do with a storage-based operation system. So sometimes, you know, usually the problem is disorganization, but it often comes at a time when a company has a fire under their bottom and they have to grow or they have to make a decision to not grow either way. So clients will sometimes come to me and they'll say, I need to hire three to five people over the next couple of years. I don't know who to hire first. I don't know what that role should be. I don't know what order I should go in. My first question is, okay, well, once you hire them, what's your onboarding plan? Do you have an onboarding plan? Where do you document all of your stuff? And that's when they'll say, well, you know, we use Airtable and Trello and Google Docs and Asana. Oh, and we use Slack, (laughs) we use Zap and, you know, all of these things. And I go, okay, great. So let's talk about what the systems are. Let's talk about what it's going to look like when that person walks into your office on day one, looking to who's going to be teaching them how to do their job, you know? So that is oftentimes when people find me as they go, you know, there's a high demand, we can't keep up, we have to grow, we need to hire, we don't know where to start, and everything is everywhere, it's a mess in here. And I go, okay, great, let's talk about how we can clean that up. There's so much that I'm processing here as I'm listening and and wanting to go back to. First of all, I think, thank you for noting the difference between Google Docs and Notion. And I think we could probably go down a whole rabbit hole there on sort of what the differences are and how you can use it. But I think what you kind of hit on is this storage place and people wanting sort of a source of truth by the time that they get to you, something that's more centrally accessible, something that if it does exist, it's like in the box in the back way corner. I literally have all my stuff in storage right now. And as soon as you said that, I was like, that is oh. accurate for my storage and also accurate for my Google Drive. <laughs> so, yeah. Even though is, you're a Notion user. Even though, I, well, I haven't, again, I have to get my own personal house in order. Isn't that always the case? You do things for clients and then your own personal house isn't in order. But it is one of those things about where do you find the information and how is the story told? How is it presented? And that's what I kind of hear you saying is when clients come to you, they are usually potentially overwhelmed with the growth that they're experiencing. And they're looking for ways for information to reach their team members and new team members in a way that's more accessible and probably a lot easier to consume. Yeah, right. It has to be accessible and it has to be navigable, Mm. right? You have to know how to get around it. So how many jobs have I started where I've had like some brief introduction to like the P drive or the S drive or whatever it is, right? Oh, it's in the P drive. Well, where in the P drive is it? And everybody is using the P drive. I should say the S drive, that's better. Everybody's using the S drive as a storage unit, right? And we're talking hundreds of people here using the S drive as a storage unit. There's no naming convention around what you're supposed to name files. Nobody's dating anything, so you have no idea what's old. People argue over, not even argue, people passive-aggressively put things in one place versus another because that's what makes sense to them. 
right? So there's no instruction, there's no structure. And this brings you back to the liberation and justice piece, right? It is, everybody is on the same level playing field at work when everybody knows how to navigate the operations of the business. That. Everyone is on the same playing field when you know the operations of the business. If Joe, who got hired two years before me, who is not neurodivergent, who had access to a better school than I did, or better schools, better education than I did because he's a white dude, because of where he grew up and because, you know, it's been easier for him to figure out when he asks questions, it's normalized so he gets answers. And he has two years on me on navigating a system that doesn't really make sense, but he's been able to make sense of it. And now here I am, day one on the job, no one is showing me. It's totally disorganized. I'm a woman of color. So if I ask questions, I get dinged. So within a few months, either I keep my mouth shut and I suffer emotionally, mentally, I suffer. My job suffers because I'm not meeting the expectations that have not been communicated to me because I don't know how to navigate my new job. Right? Or I ask questions and now I'm the troublemaker. I'm the person that shows up and asks questions. So if we have a system and we have a way of teaching it and it's part of our onboarding and it's part of our ongoing training, it's part of our just normal work environment, now we have a bit more equity at work. Now me and Joe are more or less on the same page. And that's what makes documentation so important. It's what makes documentation so important. Like if you told me 10 years ago that I would be talking about how documentation was going to set us all free. <laughs> That's how I feel. I'm like, but when did this become the thing that I nerd out about? I don't know. I Technology don't know. is an act of liberation. You know, I wouldn't have believed you, but this is, you know, my whole career, I have just followed what made the most sense to me. Is this thing, when I say easy, I don't mean like simplistic, but when something has felt easy for me, especially as a neurodivergent person as well, that's what I follow. So I just kept following it and following it. And I found Notion. I was like, okay, here we go. I feel like, you know, <laughs> I feel like I'm peaking in my 40s. I'm like, woo, you know, I've really finally figured out what it is that I'm really good at and how it connects with this other thing that I'm really passionate about, which is finding justice and liberation for my community. I love that. I know no one else can see you, but she has just lit up talking about this. And it's a gift to see people in their joy when they're on a path that works for them. And so I just, I love that that's where you are right now and that you're leaning in fully. So yes, just congrats on that. Thanks. Now, I know neither of us planned on this being a commercial for Notion. <laughs> However, <laughs> we both personally use it, love it. So 100%, if you haven't checked it out, we recommend it. If it's something that you're really interested in and you want to check out as a system, Podge has a great mastery course that she has taken that she highly recommends if you want to get up to speed with that particular software. And we'll make sure and link that in the show notes. So if that's something that you're interested in, please, please, please go check that out. 
I also want to make sure that if you aren't going to use Notion, that this conversation is still really helpful to you because documentation can happen in a lot of forms and a lot of spaces. And I know that when you're working within a system, sometimes you don't get to choose where that happens. So I'm going to shift us a little bit. Obviously, if Notion comes up, totally fine. But let's talk a little bit about documentation in general. And I'm curious in your experience, what do people get wrong about documentation? That it's one and done, that you do it and that's it. It's a static, dead document. And I agree with you that I would rather see somebody just try to create some sort of documentation and, and, and have it live somewhere than not do it at all, right? Do it in Google Docs if that's what's available to you. Better to do that than to not do it all. I think that you know, if I'm talking to somebody who works inside of a company and they don't have a lot of decision-making power, but they want to make sure that whoever comes after them can track the work that they've done and can see the way that they have structured their work, see the way that they have worked on projects, understand who it is that they're connected to, who it is that they're working with, you know, your, your resources and your partners, all of that stuff. So two things, if you're new even if you're not new, anything that you create from this point forward that's new, document it. And then if you want to go back and document old stuff, it's going to take time and that's okay. But schedule that out. Give yourself maybe 12 months or even longer if you've been inside of a company for a long time. Create a system for yourself and go back. You know, Maybe it's something that you do once a week or once a month or once a quarter and slowly start getting caught up on that. Don't overthink it. If it doesn't need a ton of words, <laughs> right? If it doesn't need to be wordy, don't make it wordy. Make bullet points, make a video, right? It doesn't really matter. Just something. And date it. <laughs> Every time you update it, date it. Because if I don't know when you wrote it, how do I know how relevant it is? You know, and so documentation can be a big undertaking. It can be a big undertaking if you're starting from scratch and you're trying to retroactively get things back up to speed. And some people love to document. I know people who would love nothing better than to be left alone in their cubicle with headphones on and just be writing documentation all day. If you have someone on, like that on your team, have that person do it right? It doesn't have to be the bulk of creating documentation doesn't have to be on everybody, right? You might have a team where one person, they're an archivist, right? By nature, have that person do it, right? There's no one right way to do this, but having a discussion with a team, having a discussion with your employees, having a discussion with your colleagues, or if you're an executive or a founder, have a discussion with the folks that work with you and talk about what could this look like? What makes sense? Where should this live? What is the structure for it? What are the guidelines for it, right? So that you've got some consistency across the board. I never want to assume that people have working knowledge of terms. So I am so on board and in line with everything you just said about sort of the project aspect of tackling all of this. Can we just get like really granular for a second could you just give us an example of something that you would document and kind of like what that would look like? Because you started talking about writing versus video, like what needs to be documented? What's an example of that? Most companies at this point have a tech stack. So you should 100% 
document how to use all of the tech inside of your organization. That's a great example of when to use video. Not that you shouldn't create copy around it as well, but a hundred percent. I mean, you know, most of my clients are using, I mean, I don't know how long your tech stack is. I use, and I don't even use that much, but I probably use, I don't know, 25 different pieces of technology to run my business easily. If I was to hire somebody tomorrow and they came into my business, they'd be like, uh, how do you use this? I mean, it would take me a month longer to show everybody how to use ConvertKit, how to use Zapier, how to use Notion. I mean, Notion in itself would just be a month's worth of training. So I think that however it is that you use your technology or whatever technology it is that you use, I hate to should people, I would highly recommend that you create standard operating practices, standard operating procedures, documentation of how you use, in what circumstances do you use these pieces of tech? How do you use them? How do you sign in? Where are the passwords? Yes. Yes. Right? Like if you're using a password vault, how do you even access the password? Right? And to me, that's even part of onboarding. That's kind of a no-brainer. Here's all the tech that you will use for your role, and here's how you access the documentation on how to use it. How do you log in? What do you use this tech for? How do you use it? What are the different steps? Who else needs to use it at the same time? Are you using one piece of tech, but three people are working on it for different functions? All of that should be documented. You document that ahead of time. You take a lot of anxiety away from someone in a new role. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that because that's what I wanted people to just really wrap their heads around is what are we actually talking about when we're talking about documentation, the nitty gritty of it? I had documented a process for posting a blog update on my website, like, I don't know, a year ago. And it's so granular. Like, it's like, here's the size of the image. You click here and then you resize it to this size and you do this and you log in here. Here's the login info, blah, 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 blah. And I've had someone doing that process for me and I had to step in and take over for her for a blog post. And I cannot even tell you, it would have taken me four to five times as long as it did to put up that blog post. Even though I wrote the documentation a year ago, it was like, I would have never remembered where that login is. What is even the name of that software that we use for that? What is the size for this? So I kind of had that experience for the first time in a while where I stepped into a process that felt new to me, even though it wasn't. It had been a while. It felt new to me. And it was like this light bulb again of like, as painful as it felt to me personally as someone with ADHD to do the documentation the first time because uh-huh. it's detailed stuff is really hard for me. I know how much that saved me and I knew the process to begin with. So just thinking about someone new stepping in and the ease and the comfort that comes with having a step-by-step thing that they can look at and reference I mean, you can't replicate it. It's why I think it is so important to invest in this. And I I know you feel the same way. I'm preaching to the choir. And this is a really good example of why documentation is so important when people need to take time off. Yes. Yes. Because now, you know, and this isn't going to be true across the board, but what it means now is that I can go take a couple of weeks off and somebody else can step in and do my job. And it gives you the ability to step away and do that without the fear that the balls are going to drop. Well, just the taking time off is its own. Like I could just talk about just taking time off, the stress of taking time off 
how taking time off in a regular job or even as a founder and then having to come back, like you're supposed to be relaxed, but you have to come back and hit the ground running because what happens for most people at work is when they take time off, they have to, first of all, try to front load a bunch of work before they go. And then when they come back, they have to get caught up, which is incredibly stressful. (laughs) So stressful. So stressful. And then you end up needing another vacation. I mean, yeah, you know, like, you know how we do like an away message? I'm away. I'll be back this time. I feel like if you take two weeks off, your away message should be like three weeks long. Truly. I mean, personally, as a business owner, when I'm gone, I put my away message to at least a day or two after I'm back because I know I'm going to need that long to like even get back into the system and catch up. And the stress that comes, it's why I think people don't take all their vacation time always because it's more stress to step away. Yes. It's too stressful. And when we take time off, the goal is that we get to completely shed our work skin. I know that when I take time off, I take off two months a year. When I take time off, I know when I've taken enough time, when I start to think about work again, Mm. I start to have ideas. I start to feel creative. I start to think about newsletters I want to write. I start to think about new notion templates I can create. That's when I know I've had enough time off. And it's really important that, we give, that when we give people time off, we really give them time off, you know? And talking about away messages, you can create a standard operating procedure that is documented and stored somewhere that is accessible so that you know when you take time off what you're supposed to say in your away message. The amount of time I spend, and this is just me because I'm a nerd and anyway, the amount of time I spend thinking about how to write my away messages. <laughs> it's like, right. So yes, let's document that and put it in a, I love that. You know, the Portlandia, you can pickle that. I don't, I don't, I should, I'm sorry. It's okay. So Portlandia was this like skit show. Yep. Your comedy skit show set in Portland. It was all the ways in which Portland was really quirky. And so they had this skit where this one person would always just say, you know, pick up something random and say, well, you can pickle that, you know, back when pickling became this sort of like hipster thing to do. Yeah. So this is like my refrain. Well, you can operationalize that. Ugh. Yes. You can document that. (laughs) There's a documentation process for that. (laughs) Yeah. I have a document for that. I could document that for you if you want. You want me to document? My partner, I drive her crazy. She's like, well, how was your day at work? Well, you know, we kind of struggle because we... You know, I couldn't figure out how to, well, I, I could create a documentation for that if you'd like me to. Oh and gosh. I did build out her notion work, space for work. And her boss is always like, oh, that's really nice. I really like that. Can we get Pudge in here to do the whole team? Yeah. Yeah, you should. And ironically enough, I feel like that's how Notion has spread. Every client I talk to is like some team, some team within the company started using it. Oftentimes the engineering team, but lots of different teams. And then someone sees what they've done with it and the documentation of Notion. And they're like, ooh, we want that. (laughs) And then it just spreads. So it can be contagious. It is contagious. And that happens for me too. You know, I'll create client dashboards for my clients for use with their clients. So my client will be sharing screen. Well, here's your dashboard. And they'll be like, well, what, what is that? Where did you get that? Can I have one? That's how I get my referrals. I want one of those. 
I want a pony. Sign me up. Yeah. Exactly. Being a great manager is hard. Like, really hard. I used to preach that it was every company's duty to provide management training for their entire team. But then I became a director of people and culture for a SaaS startup and realized just what kind of barriers were in the way. Design the training in-house? I could never find the time. Hire a third party to come and teach it? Sure, but then I'd need to re-engage them every time a new manager joined, and I just didn't have the budget for that kind of long-term engagement. In my head, I envisioned the startup version of management training, a self-led reusable program that consisted of audio lessons, thoughtful exercises, helpful templates, and an internal facilitation plan for cohort-style learning. So I built it. And it quickly became apparent that I wasn't the only person looking for a more cost-effective, scalable solution. If you also fall into that camp and want to learn more, you can visit wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. That's wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. All right, let's get back to the show. I should have known better than to think we were going to stay on track because I, you know, with questions, because I'm me and you're you and it's we could go a million <laughs> different directions. But I think everything that we're sharing is really helpful. And I do think that this sense of just starting, there are so many reasons to start, just start, get moving. I know, like you said, documentation can be hard and overwhelming, especially if you haven't done it in the past and it's something that you're just starting to think about. Is there anything from your perspective that makes it easier to manage, maybe easier to get started? Treat it like a project. I plan everything. If I'm going to be doing something that's bigger than a task, I create a plan for it because the more preparation I do, the easier the execution is going to be. So if you're starting from zero, do an audit. Mm. Create a roadmap, right? That might be a plan that takes you a year to get caught up, but it's not something if, you know, my old sponsor used to say to me, the way you eat an elephant is one bite at a time. But if I handed you an elephant and I told you, eat this elephant, you'd be trying to figure out a way to stuff it in your mouth. That's silly. (laughs) Just start chewing, which is gross. But that's how I would approach it. Do an audit, create a plan. You know, it's like construction, expect it to take you longer than you think. And it's okay. Yeah. And then for those of us who are like, oh, I have to find the perfect audit. It's like, no, no. Start thinking about what are the areas in the organization that I would like to have documented? I mean, can it be as easy as that from like an audit perspective? Or where would you start if you're thinking about an audit? It should be as easy as possible, right? Wherever you start should be so easy that you can pick it up and get it started right away, that you can start working on something for five or 10 minutes. It doesn't really matter where you start. If you feel overwhelmed by it, start somewhere. And the more you dig into it, the more the whole thing will start to take shape. And you'll be like, oh, okay, so I started over here, but actually that doesn't make sense. I still try to start my newsletters with the introduction, which is so dumb. (laughs) I don't know why I still do it because as soon as I start in the middle with the thing that I actually just want to get across, it's way faster and easier to go back. Well, great. Now I can write my conclusion and now I can write my introduction and now I can put my images in. So 
you don't have to try to start at the beginning, just start somewhere and then the shape will reveal itself and you'll find a way forward. I think that is well said and no better advice for a lot of things, but especially for documentation projects. I'm just going to repeat something that you shared earlier because I do think it's such a key sort of takeaway, which is put an hour on your calendar once a week and just make that the time that you carve out to do a little bit of documentation because that hour is going to add up over time. And it is something I think that's easy to bump down the list among all the deadlines and client priorities and fires, all those things. Like, I love the idea of just putting an hour on the calendar consistently so that you have some space to do that and then staying true to that. I think that's really, really good advice for people who are just getting started. Like, just just do an hour. That'll be huge. So you've shared a lot of kind of great nuggets about documentation in your experience, in the stuff that you've done working with clients, stuff that you've done in your own life, do you have any other best practices that you would share with people when they're thinking about documentation? I do. I mean, I think first of all, it's important to just state again, just how long something like this can take and that it should take long. This is not a thing that has to go quickly. I do sort of subscribe to that anything worth doing is worth doing right or maybe it's worth doing well or whatever you want to sort of put in there. Otherwise, if I'm going to do it half-assed, I'm just going to take it off. Like, I'm not going to bother. Why bother, right? Life is short. I'm in my mid-40s. I'm not going to start something that I'm not really interested in following through on. So take your time because if you take shortcuts, I promise you, you will pay for it later. A hundred percent that will come back to bite you in the bum. So that's one thing I want to say. I also want to say that how you work, if you're interested in becoming just in general, more organized, and for you, part of that means creating more documentation around how you work, you will have to change how you work. And I think that this is good advice for anybody who has a career, that the way that you work today is what got you to where you are today. If you're trying to go somewhere different, that is more of something, more revenue, more accolades, more salary, more skill, whatever it is, it's going to require something different. So when I work with my clients, I tell them, I'm not just going to operationalize your entire business. I'm actually going to change the way that you work. Mm. Because if you don't change the way that you work, you will snap back into doing things the way that you used to. And if it's important for you to create documentation because you know that ultimately that is going to serve your organization, then change the way that you work so that you're doing it on a regular basis. I have weekly checklists, monthly checklists, quarterly checklists, and annual checklists. There are things that I absolutely do every single week. I have to do. I mean, there are things that I do daily. But there are certainly things that I do weekly that I have to check in on these things, or I have to make sure I send emails to the right, whatever it is. Develop those checklists and incorporate them into your workflow. It's very easy for us to get focused on what is in front of our nose, right? It's easy for us to think what I'm doing now and today is the most important thing, but we must train ourselves to be able to pull back 
and look at the week ahead next week, the next month, the next quarter, and the next year. I mean, you and I are both business owners. I guarantee you that you and I have both already had this year, had several conversations with people talking about 2024. Yeah, you have to. I mean, especially in the work we do, but yes. Yes. Regardless of where you are in an organization, it will be to your advantage if you can pull your head out of the sand that is the day-to-day work and think about what it is that you need to build today that will serve next week and next month and next year. And that is a shift in how you work. And that is what is required if what you want to do is incorporate documentation into your regular practice. You will have to change. What you're talking about is intentional culture building. Intentional culture building. Yeah. Exactly. And I love that you make things into songs. If I had a dollar for everything I made into a song, I'd be so rich. Anyway, yeah. Intentional culture building is being very specific about the behaviors, actions, and beliefs that drive your workplace. And an intentional culture of documentation where documentation is valued, where it is prioritized, that is a cultural choice. And I couldn't help while you were talking, but think about the fact that I do a lot of work with companies around operationalizing their values and moving them from words to actual behaviors, beliefs, tangible things that can exist within an organization. That said, There are so many organizations that have core values that really mean nothing. And we all know those five that like half the companies in the world have, like respect and like some of these, you know, keywords that just exist within organizations. What if one of the values that became prevalent was documentation instead of some of these fluffy words? Like, I just feel like that would change so much. I think it could be more meaningful than a lot of the core values that people put in place. Like, we value documentation. Everything exists so that there is equal access and so that people know what it is that they need to know when they need to know it. I'm just, now I'm all fired up. But I just, this is why it's so important. And I love this idea that it is also cultural. And it is also, it informs the way that you work. It informs how you get your work done. And when there's an intentionality behind it, it's a really powerful thing. Yeah. I wrote in my newsletter today about how strategy and implementation are inextricably bound, right? You separate them and they each become much weaker. And I helped a company a couple of years ago write a job description. And I suggested that they include in the job description something about how this role was responsible for creating documentation for their work practices. Great, no problem. What's the structure around that? Oh, well, we don't. We don't know. And we didn't talk about this too much today, but if you're hiring, right, if you're writing a job description, you should have a separation plan, you should have an onboarding plan, and you should definitely have systems for your work, right? For everybody's role. So if you want to value documentation, which I think is a fantastic idea, then there must be some structure and instruction (laughs) on how to create that documentation, right? How we document here should be documented as a standard operating procedure somewhere. 
so that you don't have 50 different people creating documentation in 50 different ways, right? Because that's also not helpful. No, and it happens quite frequently. It does. It happens all the time. And you know, it is what it is, right? Like no shame on anybody who hasn't figured this out yet because it's a big piece that can take up a lot of someone's time, right? But without it, I mean, how many times have we seen people leave organizations and companies and take all of their institutional knowledge with them? I actually, a job I left six years ago, I got an email from somebody at the end of last year asking me something. I was thinking all the way back to the beginning of the interview when you were talking about Google Docs and like how you try and go into the S drive and find something. I was like, and then you have to request that document from someone who hasn't worked there for three years. (laughs) No one knows how to get the information because it's it's gone. Yeah. And by the way, I left that company with no continuity plan because they didn't have a structure for a continuity plan. Yes. Am I giving my notice and spending the last two weeks documenting four years worth of work? No, I'm spending my last two weeks at work working as little as possible. Yeah. It's creating the space for this to happen while you're in a role so that it's not a fire drill when someone leaves. Because like you said, at that point, best hope is that they are going to wrap up what they are doing from a client perspective, from a team perspective as well as they can before their last day. But really, it's not a realistic plan to think that someone's going to document all these things on the way out. So make space, create an environment in which this is the norm. I am curious, do you have any thoughts or feelings on like, you know, you were talking about let's have a system and a plan for documentation, which I love and I agree with. Do you have any thoughts or opinions on who should start or own that plan within an organization? And I know it varies by different sizes, but I mean, to me, that's an operation. You're right. It depends on, on the organization, depends on the size, it depends on the structure and who you have in what role. But to me, having a documentation plan or a, a continuity plan is 100% an operations. I mean, that's what I do, right? I'm an operations mm-hmm. person. I think that that's an operations thing. I think if you have a COO or if you are a COO, or you've got a director of operations, or you have an admin team, right? Somebody who's responsible for the infrastructure of the business, this task belongs to them. This project belongs to them. This is for them to lead. I'm having a light bulb because the reason I asked this question is that the last company that I was at, we struggled with this. I was the director of people and culture. You know, I was sort of involved. We had people from the engineering team because they were doing documentation for engineering involved. And I'm realizing, as you said this, we didn't have a COO at that point. And so that is why we probably struggled. And I guess probably most organizations don't have that issue. But that's great to think about. Yes, it should be owned by operations. And I do think that people, ops, are getting more involved in some aspects of that and should be included and and working together on it. But it's certainly not the place where it lives, I think, at most organizations. It needs leadership, right? You need somebody as high as possible who has decision-making power. Mm. That person doesn't have to lead the project itself, but that person has to be the one to say, this is what we're doing now. This is how we do things here now. And this is how we're going to go about doing it. You know, it's like having kids, right? I'll tell my kid to do something. I mean, my kid's 24, but I'll tell my kid to do something and he'll do it. If I leave the house and the babysitter comes over and to tell us it, he's, no. Forget I'm it. Gonna do it. That's what it is, right? So you do, I mean, I work only with founders because if I don't have buy-in from the top, 
and I try to implement Notion. Can you imagine trying to implement Notion into an organization when I don't have buy-in from the top? I'm laughing only because no, and I think we tried to do that, and that's where we failed so miserably in our last, not because anyone wasn't doing good work. It was just like all these cooks in the kitchen and no one really was leading it. So yeah, that's a real problem. Well, I could talk to you for hours about the intricacies of Notion and documentation and why it's so important, why it matters. You have shared some absolute brilliant gems with, I think, our listeners who can go and now sort of assess where are we at? What do we need to do? What does the audit of where we're at look like? And how do we move forward? This whole podcast is built on this idea that someone can take things that they learned and go and apply them in their organization so that we are creating better places to work. In that sort of vein, if there's one thing that you sort of hope people take away from this episode, what would that be? Don't try to eat the elephant in one bite. Take little tiny chunks. I have to come up with a better analogy for that, for the vegans and for the vegetarians and for the people who just don't eat elephant meat. You know what I mean? I understand. Yeah. I finally came across feed a bird with two scones instead of... Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I now say... When you win the lottery, not when you get hit by a bus. Because Get hit by a bus. No. Yes. I used to do that too. And you know, the feeding the birds thing is harder for me because I have an English accent. So I say, feed two birds with one scone. <laughs> well, it, and it sounds, sounds delightful. Silly. I mean, I think it sounds delightful. <laughs> you think it sounds silly. We believe that up to everybody else to decide. But I have a feeling if we took a vote, we'd end up on my side of things here. But Yes. <laughs> We are slowly but surely updating the terminology, and I'm thrilled. I just learned that the word soft skills, the phrase soft skills, was actually created by the U.S. military. Who knew? Oh, that's delightful. I don't use that word. I know. Neither do I. But I had no clue that it was started by the U.S. military. I was like, that checks out for so many reasons. (laughs) So what do you use instead? I will say leadership skills. I will say, well, now that I'm on the spot, I think I say leadership skills most often, but I am really on this train of social emotional learning and thinking about how we are using emotional intelligence and empathy in the workplace. So I think I talk a lot about that too, because I think there's a lot of overlap there. I think that's right. If it's helpful for you, because I just love finessing language, Serbi Lal, who is a colleague of mine, she calls it professional skills. Professional skills. I love that. broad enough. Yes. Right? It's broad enough. And in fact, when I help people write resumes, which isn't very often, but I do occasionally do that, I help them create a space on their resume where they can identify their professional skills because I think it's really important. And I think that we should stop calling them soft skills because it demotes them. And they are, I think, sometimes more important. The hard skills, whatever that means, can often be taught and learned more easily than professional skills can. A lot of people come to the table with those professional skills well-developed, and that is what makes them competitive and what makes them strong candidates for a position in a way that, can you use this piece of software? Do you know how to create presentations? Did you go to school for X, Y, or Z, right? I think that those professional skills should come first before we start to really get caught up in whatever technical skills somebody has. 
I mean, insert slow clap here because I know. Let's just let's just do it. I mean, we just yes. This is who knows what this is going to sound like, but <laughs> we're going to give it a go. It's going to be. We're going to give it a go. I know. Oh, that, I, I got my dog up. Oh yeah, the dogs are awake. Everyone's awake. No, <laughs> I could not agree with that more. And it is only about to become more and more and more important in the workplace. Everything is Googleable. This generation that's coming up knows how to find information. They know how to make a skill work that they don't have a general grasp on. But these professional skills, are we empathetic listeners? Are we regulating our emotions? There is going to be, I think, an even bigger focus on that. So thank you. Thank you to your colleague. What is her name? Or I'm assuming... Yeah, her name is Serbi Lal, and she is a fabulous, how would I describe her? I mean, she works in similar spaces to you and I, but she teaches management. She teaches sort of ethical management, how we bring teams together, how we treat people at work, how we create safer and healthier work environments. She's a very smart lady. She's worked with teams on Broadway to help them work better. She teaches at NYU. She's a really smart lady and she taught me professional skills. Ugh. Well, Serbi Lal, I hope that our paths cross. Maybe we need to have you on the podcast, but thank you for that gift of that new verbiage. And Paj, thank you. This was a delightful conversation and one that I think is so important. And I'm just grateful to you for your time and your expertise and sharing this space with me. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. This show was brought to you by wanttoworkthere.com and the incredible team at Podcasting for Creatives. No individual or company acting alone can change our societal beliefs about work, but together we can create a new normal. If you like this episode, please consider passing it on to one or two people who share your passion for creating a better world of work. And until next time, please know I see you, I believe in you, and keep going. The work you're doing really matters.